recording. We are on. Hello. Yes. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to Bang Bang Cult. Yes. Welcome back. Yeah. We're recording remotely now, so So, this will be fun. We'll see what happens. (laughs) It's another fun adventure we're putting ourselves into. (laughs) Yep. And uh, happy holidays. We are doing our holiday-themed Welcome to December. Yes. Uh, today is ring. Oh, holiday murders. Dun dun dun. Dun dun. Okay. All right. We're gonna flip the quarter or coin. Heather <laughs> didn't have a quarter. Okay. It is tails. That's okay. Me. I go first. <laughs> oh, <and> get comfy. <laughs> okay. Stay on back, girl. <laughs> So, for my murder, I decided to take it back to the 1800s. Ooh. I'm glad you did, because I wanted to go really far back, and I couldn't find anything. Oh, yeah. Like, the way that these people talk, it's so old-timey, and I love every second of it. Oh, I'm so excited for that. So, I'm going to do the Ashland Tragedy, and it happened in a small town near the Ohio River in Ashland, Kentucky. It happened on December 23rd, 1881. So I guess not that far back, but kind of far back. Whatever. Uh, A group of three teenagers gathered together at their family home. Fanny Gibbons, Robert Gibbons, and Emma Carico or Carico, Hmm. something. I don't know. You know how I am with names. Uh, uh, Fanny Gibbons was 14. And she was called a handsome girl. All right. That's terrible. (laughs) She had a cheerful disposition and winning manners. And she had many friends. Robert Gibbons was 17. And he was the brother of Fanny, obviously. And he had lost his leg some years before in an awful event when he accidentally fell in front and under an empty car that was being pushed along a track by some employees at the North Ironworks. So he was struggling a little bit. And then Emma Carrico was 15 and was better known as Emma Thomas. And she was a well-developed, fine-looking girl who was loved by all. Well-developed. Well-developed. I'm like, well, she's got boobies. I guess. Guess that's what that means. Their descriptions are my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Handsome girl and well-developed girl. (laughs) On the night of December 23rd, 1881, the Gibbons' parents were out of town. The father was working in another town, and the mother was visiting their eldest daughter. Emma's mother lived in a, a nearby house, so she could see the Gibbons' house from her home. So she wasn't concerned about them being there alone. And of course... Robbie is or Robert was 17, so they weren't really concerned. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Obviously. Avi. Uh, so uh, the mother continued to watch the house throughout the night, and everything seemed fine until later in the evening when the no- neighbors noticed that there was flames coming from the house and they sounded the alarms. Oh. They sounded the sounded alarms. Sounded the yeah. alarms. Mm hmm. All right. Uh, When they were able to get the bodies out, they found that all three teenagers were dead. And the physicians that attended the crime scene reported that the victims had died by being bludgeoned to death. 
Their skulls were mashed to pieces and they found a bloodied crowbar and an axe at the scene. And there was evidence that the two girls had been brutally raped. So not good. Not No, not good at all. It was finally concluded that there was the arson was committed in an attempt to cover up the crime. So they were like, yeah, okay, just burn it down. And so, of course, the next day was Christmas Eve, and word of the murders quickly spread throughout the town. And although, like, drunken bar fights and robberies were part of the norm during this time, rob- murders were not. So people were very shocked by this, obviously. Cause... Yeah. So I'm saying obviously a lot. Obviously. <laughs> All obvious. <laughs> Uh, The police began to question everyone in town, and eventually George Ellis, another local, began to display signs of guilt, and he soon confessed the crime and then snitched on his friends, William Neal and Ellis Craft, hoping that the police would give him a break for giving away other people. George claimed that they had been discussing the crimes for months. William Neal had supposedly claimed that he was going to have carnal communication with Emma before Christmas. Ew. I know. Carnal. Why? Communication. I don't Why? Ugh. I don't Wait. know, but that's what I'm calling it now. Carnal communication. Carnal. Yes. That's the only way to communicate. Uh, <laughs> carnally. Uh, so yeah, he claimed that he was going to have carnal communication with Emma before Christmas Day. In his con- first confession, a very long one, I might add, he said... A few things prior to the 24th, I met Kraft who stated that he was going to see Fanny Gibbons and take her some black candy. I don't know what black candy is, but... I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe licorice? That's what I I was thinking. Maybe like a licorice? Maybe. Uh, So he was going to take her some black candy and that he was going to have intercourse with her and he wanted me to come along. Wait, about- what? Okay, there are so right? many things that I have questions about here. What <laughs> is that? What you do? You bring a girl candy and then you have intercourse? Right. I guess that's how the 1880s were. Have I been doing it wrong? Do I, I don't require want that candy? Me either. But do I require candy? Is that- I guess you're just gonna have to start requiring candy. <laughs> I guess every so. Time. And also, he wanted his friend to come along. Right. Like that's weird. I guess he was into... Or maybe he, you know. he needed, like, proof. True. Or he, needed, or he needed to be, like, egged on. Like, yeah. doing good, man. Or maybe it was, like, a consent thing to make sure. I doubt that. Right. Well, because he wanted carnal communication, so I don't really know if that's... He wanted consent. I don't know if he cared. As long as she got her candy, uh, that was her payment, right? That's all she cared about, that black candy. Ugh, gross. Okay. Uh, so, okay, about midnight, that fatal night, we all started, Kraft, Neil, and myself, and when we got to the house, Kraft raised the window with an old axe and stepped in first. Neil followed, and I stayed behind on the porch, and afterwards, I went in. Like, okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Robbie was the first aroused and started to get up when Kraft said, you had better lie still. Kraft then... Kraft then went to the bed where the two girls were sleeping and began to take improper liberties with them. Wait, what happened to the candy? Well, I guess he didn't give it to them yet because they were sleeping. (laughs) They were sleeping, so they couldn't eat them. (laughs) Maybe black candy means something else. Maybe it means like his penis. 
I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Okay. So Kraft then went to the bed where the two girls were sleeping and began to take improper liberties with them. Improper liberties. Yes. I mean, at least they call them improper. Right. At least they were aware that that was very improper. They're woke. (laughs) 1880s woke. (laughs) Robbie said, you had better stay away from there. When Kraft hit him with the axe, he fell back on the lounge, then plunged forward and fell fully six feet from the bed under the stairs where he was found. The girls screamed when Kraft jumped on the bed and they both said, George Kraft, what are you here for? Again, very old timey. <laughs> that is not what I would say if some man was jumping into bed with me. What are you here for? What are you here for? Get the fuck out of my bed and probably exactly. kick him. I know. I'll be like, ugh, get out of here. And I don't want your black candy. No. You can keep it. You can have it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Emma also started to jump from the bed when Neil choked her, pulled her onto the floor. She fought him, and I held her while he outraged her. Neil then struck her on the head with the big end of the crowbar, and she instantly died after throwing up her hands. Kraft also had some trouble with Fanny Gibbons and called on me to come and help him. He then outraged her and killed her. Yep. Outraged. I love it. That's so good. (laughs) Neil proposed killing the girls, and after they were dead, it took some coal oil, poured it over their bodies, and set fire to them with a match. We then left the house. So that's that was all of his confession. Okay. Um, it sounds like he did give a couple of different confessions, but this is like the main story they went off of. All right. So the th- three men were then arrested, and the trials began in 1882. William Neal and Ellis Kraft were convicted in a 10-day trial and sentenced to death. Of course, they appealed, and they were yeah, they of course appealed it. Uh, George Ellis was tried in May of 1882, and he was convicted for his role in the crime and sentenced to a life in jail. The sentence was unpopular, and the locals formed a mob where they removed Ellis from the cell and lynched him. So, bye. 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 In an effort (laughs) to avoid another lynch mob, Neil and Kraft were transferred to Grayson, Kentucky by a steamship. Again, I love all this. Yeah. Uh, steamship, yep. Uh, steamship. Yep. Old, like old-timey. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> uh, so, however, a crowd attempted to stop the men from being transferred, and about a, gr- a group of 18 men commandeered a ferry, and they followed the steamship. They fired two pistol shots at the boat, and the guards on the steamship fired back, and the scene was described as, some 1,500 shots in a two-minute hail of lead. So, wow. Yes, the story two has Two Two-minute hail of lead. Of lead. The story has everything. There's it really does. and steamboats. and lynches and... Black candy. Improper liberties. Mm-hmm. Outraged. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, four innocent bystanders were killed. Oh, no. I know. But no one was charged with anything on this one. Once the boat arrived in Grayson, Kraft and Neil granted their appeals, and a new trial was carried out. However, the verdict was still the same, guilty and sentenced to death. Mr. Kraft was hung on October 12th of 1883, and Mr. Neil on March 27th of 1885. 
uh, Kraft's family, after the execution, wanted to bury him, but the property owner objected, and they were forced to carry his remains six miles further. And in 2018, they were doing an archaeological survey, and they actually found the unmarked grave. What? That's so sick. Isn't that crazy? Like, they just... So, and then they found two other unmarked graves there as well, and they're not sure who those bodies belong to, but it's now called the Burn Cemetery. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah. So if you ever want to go visit, it's there. Um, Of course, this also really affected everyone in town, and people wrote a lot of poems and songs about it. So I'm going to read the beginning of one of them. It's really long, so I'm just going to do the beginning of this one. Okay. So it goes... Dear father, mother, sister, come listen while I tell all about the Ashland tragedy of which you know full well. T'was in the town of Ashland all on that deadly night. A horrible crime was committed, but soon was brought to light. Three men who did the murder was Kraft, Ellis, and Neil. They brought the crime they had concealed, but God the same revealed. George Ellis, one of the weakest who could not bear the pain, to J.P. Powell trembling revealed the horrid stain. Ellis Kraft, who was the leader, had an iron heart, caused his son and two lovely daughters from their mother's embrace to part. Poor Neil, he may be innocent, but from what George Ellis tells, the crime he has committed was sent his soul to hell. He dragged poor Emma from her bed and threw her on the floor, crushed her head with an iron bar, her blood did run in gore. In my own imagination, I can see her little hands upheld, crying for mercy, murdered by cruel hands. Oh. Yeah, it, but it's like... But it's like sounds nice because it's a poem, but yeah. it's like gruesome. Yeah. Gruesome a, poems are great. <laughs> yeah, it sounds beautiful, and then you're like, "Nope, I'm talking about her being murdered." Okay, oh, cool. and those poor girls. I know. So, but yeah, that is the story of the Ashland tragedy. I will post the whole poem on Instagram. The link on there. Yes. Yes. So yes. I'll read it. Yeah. Um. Okay. I'm going to tell you guys about the Covina Massacre. Ooh. Yeah. Um, which it happened in Covina, California. I don't know why I keep doing ones in California. You just miss California. That must be it. I don't know. They just keep popping up. Or there's just a lot of fucking murders and cults in California. Yeah, I think that's probably it. I think that's probably what it is. Um, so Covina is outside of L.A., in case you're not from the area. Um, so Sylvia, it's Sylvia Ortega, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Sylvia Ortega Pardo's family, they had an annual Christmas party every Christmas Eve. Uh, about 25 people would attend. So like their family, extended family. Uh, There was even a neighbor who would visit dressed as Santa Claus. So on Christmas Eve 2008, they were having their same Christmas party. And Sylvia's now ex-husband, Bruce Pardo, showed up to the party in a Santa Claus suit with a present in hand. Okay. Uh, One of Sylvia's nieces, eight-year-old Katrina Yusupolsky. Sounds good. Good. Listen, I'm just going to spell this last name because it's Y-U-Z-E-F-P-O-L-S-K-Y. Okay. Yusuf Polsky. I like your pronunciation. I'm into it. 
I like to because I pronounce all of them and they're probably not all pronounced. Um, Okay, so she opened the door for Bruce. And moments after the door opened, Bruce pulled out the two handguns and immediately shot Sylvia's eight-year-old niece. No. As she ran to greet him. So, like, she opens the door, runs to greet her uncle to her, and he shoots Ugh, her. Jerk. Um, but she didn't die. He just injured her face. It was pretty severe, but not life-threatening. He then fired randomly at fleeing guests. So, it's suspected that he may have pointedly executed some of the victims using the other handgun so like he had one handgun in one hand Mm -hmm. that he's like pointedly executing people with and one that he's shooting fleeing guests with so he's like trying to do like movie style like i'm cool but i guess so yeah so after the shootings bruce unwrapped the present he had brought with him on a trolley to unveil a homemade flamethrower oh my god <laughs> he was serious. A homemade thro- flamethrower wrapped as a present. Okay. That's like, I want him for White Elephant. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> either or. Just don't want him to your party. Yeah. He's not invited to Christmas. Not so much. Um, and so he used that to spray fuel to set the home on fire. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, People were jumping out of windows on both floors of the house, trying to escape um, the gunfire and flames. Which is just like, what? Oh my gosh. It's terrible. So police received several 911 calls uh, with reports of shots fired at 11.30 p.m. And they were still hearing gunshots after they arrived and they found the house engulfed in flames. So like... He was still shooting people while setting the house on fire. Nice. Okay. Yeah. He was like, no one's surviving, evidently. Or at least he didn't want them to. He went full throttle. Literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fire was approximately 40 to 50 feet and took 80 firefighters an hour and a half to extinguish. 80? Jesus. 80 firefighters. That's so crazy for one house. Yeah. Um, At first, the firefighters were held back by police because the shots were still being fired, although they say it may have been ammunition that was burning in the blaze. Like, it was Uh, getting... Either way, you don't want to be in that, in a fire. Right. Can you imagine fighting a fire and there are bullets being exploded at you or shot at you? Yeah, no, you're like dodging bullets while... Nope, nope, nope. That's terrible. Mm Mm-mm. Um, so the fire caused the top floor of the house to collapse onto the first floor. So mm-hmm. the home was completely destroyed. Mm. Yeah. So, um, due to the intensity of the fire, identification of the victims was done with dental and medical records. Like Yikes. they had to x-ray the charred bodies and then oh. figure out who they were. Oh. I like it. Yeah. So nine people died from either gunfire or flames, and three others were wounded. The eight-year-old girl who was shot in the face, um, a 16-year-old girl shot and wounded in the back, 
and a 20-year-old woman who suffered a broken ankle jumping off the second floor roof. Listen, if your ankle broke jumping off the roof, I think you got lucky. I agree. You you don't get to complain. No. And you get to, like, be in a wheelchair for a little bit. People get to dote on you and be like, yeah, it's fine. Also terrifying, but you're fine. Right. Um, There was one survivor who called the authorities during the attack after escaping to a neighbor's house. But it sounds like multiple people called the cops. Yeah. This is when? 2013? 2008. So they had phones then. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember what my smartphone was like in 2008, but I had one. I think that was like when like still no not they, that was like the uh blackberry time um yeah yeah it was because i think the guy i was dating had a razor uh, no it was razor time i think i, I think i had like an lg chocolate oh yeah i ha- i think i had the brand like the blackberry like the little one not the big one oh mm-hmm. yeah that was when like touchscreen phones just started to become a thing i think right oh. after that or right before that yeah right around then mm-hmm. or the sidekicks that was also the there on that time oh yeah i was still in high school so this makes sense yeah. actually december 2008 i was not i yeah. graduated but yeah they had phones though at least yeah. someone did but evidently that girl didn't because she ran to a neighbor's house or whoever jumped out yeah. Whoever survived. Um, so the people that died, I didn't keep a complete list, but um, was Bruce's ex-wife, her mom and dad, and her brothers and sisters. And like a, oh a nephew, I think. Sad. It's like a whole family. Yeah. Yeah, basically it was their whole family, and I think 13 kids were orphaned. (gasps) Gee, no. Yeah, it's terrifying. It was mostly adults that were her direct relatives. Oof. Sad. Yeah. So, fuck him. Yeah, not a fan. So, directly after the attack, Bruce put on his street clothes and drove his Dodge Caliber rental rental car to his brother's house. Wow, I don't know why he had a rental car. Maybe he was trying to like um make people not be on his track like so right. he wouldn't get caught. That's probably why. Probably. So he drove his rental car to his brother's house. So he didn't even go to his house. And Silmar, which for those of you that don't know, is also near LA but closer to it than Covina. And that's what's on fire right now. It is sad. It is. Um so it's about 30 miles away from the crime scene where he was later found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. His brother uh, wasn't home when it happened. So I'm guessing his brother had no idea any of this was happening. Yeah. So why would he go all the way home and like, why not just, I don't know, whatever. Well, the thought is, is that he, they don't think he was planning on killing himself based on the evidence. Like he got a rental car and there's more that I'll get into. Um, and like he what didn't go to his house in Montrose, he went to his brother's house in Silmer. Mm, like, okay. It sounds like he wasn't trying to kill himself, but then he changed his mind. And then you killed your whole family. Yeah, or we'll see. Um, 
So mm. Pardo had bought a plane ticket from Los Angeles to Illinois. He had called days before to tell a high school friend that he was planning to visit, but investigators were unsure if he intended to visit or if the flight was to fool investigators. So, but he had visited this friend in October 2008, just a couple of months prior. Mm. So it doesn't sound like it would be weird to visit him, but they, he might have just bought that ticket. It's. It sounds like he was planning on running, like the rental car, changing his clothes to drive away, going to his brother's house, the plane ticket. Yeah, sounds like a getaway for sure. Yeah. Um, but, however, the Santa suit during his flamethrowing exhibition, the Santa suit had melted um, and adhered mm-hmm. to his skin, so not all of it could be removed. Oh yeah, he was suffering from severe severe third degree burns, and they think that maybe that's part of why he went against his initial plan. Maybe he thought that the burns were so bad that he wasn't going to make it anyway, or that he needed medical help, and he couldn't obviously get that. Right. That makes um, sense. I mean, I would have just ran and then gotten medical help. Yeah, that's that's an option, but you know, he doesn't seem like he was very. I mean, it. he thought this shit through clearly. A Santa that's suit, true. the flamethrower wrapped as a present, like he he planned this. Yeah, but like synthetic with fire, like come on. Yeah, it was pretty dumb. Yeah, not so good. He should have been wearing like a fire resistant something. Yeah, like the one from uh, what's that movie? Um, Tim Allen. Yeah, I don't remember. Santa Claus? Santa Claus, yeah, that one. Yeah. The Claws. The Claws. <laughs> <laughs> Love those movies. Me too. Uh, so police did find $17,000 in cash cling-wrapped on his legs inside a girdle. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, he has cash strapped to his legs. But you would think that that would have set on fire. Right. He cling wrapped it. I guess it was inside of a girdle, though, so maybe it was protected. Maybe. Fire resistant. Yeah, maybe. So, yeah, he makes that fire resistant. Got to protect the money, but not himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was probably planning on getting out of there before it right. caught on fire, but I don't know. It was all dumb. Um, a police bomb squad was attempting to render um, a suspicious device in the rental car safe when it erupted in flames. So evidently they had gone to check out the scene and saw something suspicious in his car and oh. called in the bomb squad. So Bruce's rental car had been parked one block from his brother's house and rigged with remnants of his Santa suit that would detonate the car with black powder if removed. I'm guessing that was a way to um, mask the the evidence. Yeah, it seems like it. Like if they removed the Santa suit, it would blow up. Yeah, and then they couldn't investigate the evidence. Yeah. Well, I guess that's smart. All right. Yeah. And the whole rental car. I don't know. So weird, though. I guess he's not getting his money back on that car. Well, not so much. <laughs> so, also recovered from the scene. Um, I think these were from his car. I'm not 100% sure it didn't say. Uh, but I would guess so. Were Although, I don't know. Because his car 
caught on fire. I don't know. Maybe it's from his brother's house. Either way, they recovered four 13-round capacity handguns that were empty, 200 rounds of ammunition, and then at his house, they recovered five empty boxes of semi-automatic guns, a Benelli M2 tactical shotgun, and a container for high-octane fuel tank gasoline. They also found what they described as a virtual bomb factory. Hmm, yeah. Nice. So he, I don't know if he had additional plans, but he was prepared. Yeah. We, we, uh, apocalypse, maybe? Maybe. He could have been one of those. Mm-hmm. So police thought that the motive of the attack was related to his recent divorce. I mean, obviously. Mm-hmm. Scorned man. Yeah. Pardo's wife was, uh, words. Pardo's wife of one year and him had settled um, for divorce. And the previous week, they had finally finished their divorce. And I don't think it went well for him. But he did have no criminal record and no history of violence. But he had been fired from his job as an electrical engineer in July. And there were some... Yeah. He was having a bad year. He was having a bad year. Um, There was some speculation that the divorce may have been caused by Bruce concealing a child from a previous relationship. Mm. so that would definitely cause something like that uh yeah like if you're hiding that what else are you hiding exactly the couple had gotten married in january 2006 so they were married for like a year um but they grew apart quickly after their marriage because bruce refused to open a joint account with sylvia And he expected her to take care of her own three children with her own finances, which when I first read this, I was like, what the fuck? But then I reread it and I was like, oh, they're her kids from a previous relationship. Yeah. So I kind of get it. Like, it's kind of shitty, but it's also like, I'm not like, oh, fuck him. Because if if that's the agreement. Yeah. But like a good man would be like, they're my kids now. But yeah. Exactly. He's clearly not a no. good man. And I, I, I can see both perspectives of that, I guess. For I a later in life relationship. And he's, you know, he's already like, he's on his own. He's not used to taking care of kids. And who knows how old the kids are? Like, what if they're in college or something? Right. Um, so who knows? It's not great, but it could be worse. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So in June 2008, the divorce court had ordered Bruce to pay $1,785 a month in spousal support. Um, During the divorce proceeding, Bruce had confided to a friend his wife was, quote unquote, taking him to the cleaners. Uh, In July, Bruce was fired for billing false hours and the court suspended the support payments due to job hardship. Yeah. He's a real winner. Such a winner. Um, He was required to pay Sylvia $10,000 as a part of the divorce settlement, according to the court documents. Sylvia kept the wedding ring and the family dog. She even took the dog. 
Well, she probably took better care of him. Probably. Um, in a court declaration, Bruce complained that Sylvia was living with her parents, not paying rent, and had spent lavishly on a luxury car, gambling, trips to Las Vegas, meals at fine restaurants, massages, and golf lessons. Who reported uh, this? The Pardo complained about that in a court document. Ah, uh, yes, making up false yeah. allegations. And I mean, you know what she might have been. She has got ten grand, and she's not paying rent. She's living with her parents. She just got rid of a shitty ex-husband. Maybe she bought herself a new car and went to Vegas with her girlfriends. Right, but it doesn't matter how she spends it. He's just had to get exactly. Her the money, it doesn't so. matter. And yeah, of course, obviously, the point of the money is. Like alimony and all of that is so that you don't all of a sudden go broke. But also, we don't know, like, if they're getting divorced because he had another kid from, like, that he was hiding and all of that. Clearly, she had reasons for divorcing him. Right. But he's being bitter, Mm -hmm. most likely. So that's all I have on that. I do have some media information. Um, there was a song from X-Ray, or no, it's Polystyrene. He's the, I guess the, I don't know, the lead singer of X-Ray Specs. I don't know who that is, but they recorded a song in 2010 called Black Christmas, which contains references to the massacre. Uh, Boombox Poets recorded a song also in 2010 called Santa Syndrome which is Lucy based on references to the massacre and also their own lives, but it does have references to the massacre. And in the 2012 film Silent Night, a character tells the story of a man who donned a Santa suit and used a homemade flamethrower to attack a Christmas party being attended by his ex-wife. Hmm. Very similar. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. I mean, when I was reading it about the flamethrower, the Santa suit, I'm like, man, this sounds exactly like a movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It does. It does sound like a movie. I feel like Billy Bob Thornton would play that Santa, like in Bad Santa. For sure. Bad Santa gone very, very wrong. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's all I have. All right. That's a super short episode, so sorry. Well... Keeping it short for your holidays, you don't, you know, more time to celebrate. Exactly, more time to spend with your family and not murder them. Yes, don't murder, please. Yeah, don't do that. Especially Christmas. I love Christmas. Don't, don't ruin, ruin Christmas. <laughs> okay, well, thanks, guys. You know the drill. Yeah. Follow us on the Insta, on the Facebook, Bing Bing Colt. And we are on Gmail. If you want to message us at bingbangcool at gmail.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.